All right, let's open up to Luke chapter 2, please. Verse number 21 is where we'll begin. Luke chapter 2 and verse 21 as we continue our series through the gospel of Luke. Today we've reached a passage. I am addressing it from this angle this morning. As you can see, the title of the sermon is Sensitive to the Spirit. Being sensitive to the Spirit. And of course, I hope that as we go through the verses, you'll see why I'm focusing on that theme or that topic. And before we go any further, let's bow our heads and ask the Lord to help us with this sensitive topic. Father, we appreciate the opportunity to be together and to sing. And as we have just sung, we now pray, have thine own way. Speak to our hearts, Lord. As you said today, if we hear your voice, help us not to harden our hearts. Lord, help us to have the prepared and the the ground of our heart ready to receive the seed of the Word of God. Let it change us today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Seven times in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, you find one phrase repeated. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. He repeats it seven times. I believe it deserves and demands our attention, therefore, to know not only, number one, that the Holy Spirit can and does speak, but that we must do our part and have ears to hear. And I think today's passage is going to help us see many things about being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, or if you'd like to word this a little differently, how to hear from God. How do you know when God is speaking to you? Many people would, they they would like this statement, I want to be led by God. Amen, I hope that's true of you. I want to be guided by God. But how do you know when God is doing that? It's a good question. And I believe this passage will help us answer it to a great extent. So let's begin in verse number 21. It says, And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So you can see right away, this is an act of obedience. This did not require any further revelation. The angel showed up and told Mary what to do, what to name the child. This was also told to Joseph. So both the parents were on board and obedient. Verse 22, And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, They brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So Luke has now given us some insight as to why Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple. There's two things going on in the passage. Number one, the circumcision. This was a law for the Jews. Of course, it started with Abraham, but then it was instituted as a law in the time of Moses, and it's all spelled out for us in Leviticus chapter 12. Now, I know for many of you, you have that chapter committed to memory already, but in case you don't, would you turn to Leviticus 12? You can hold Luke chapter 2. That little one's coming to see me. Luke, or, uh, Leviticus chapter 12, and I'd like to make you familiar with what Mary and Joseph were doing. In Leviticus 12, you can see in verse, 
In verse number 3, in the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. So there it is written in the law. But then also as we read further, we can see that in verse number 4, she shall then continue in the blood of her purifying three and thirty days. She shall touch no hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying be fulfilled. So in Luke, we read that those days were accomplished. So she waited 33 days, and now she has to present herself and her boy in the temple. Look at verse 6, Leviticus 12, verse 6. And when the days of her purifying are fulfilled for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring a lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering, unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation unto the priest. Those kids are having a good time. Now, at, this is for a, a family with some money, but if you're extremely poor and you couldn't afford a lamb, verse 8 is where you'd find yourself. If she shall not be able to bring a lamb, then she shall bring two turtles. Now, not turtles like with a shell. This is the short version of turtle doves, okay? I, kind of an odd picture to think of somebody at the altar with turtles, actual just turtles. <laughs> These are turtle doves. She shall bring two turtle, turtles or two young pigeons the one for the burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make an atonement for her, and she shall be clean. So here we have some instructions. This applies to every Jewish family. If it's a boy, you have to circumcise him on the eighth day. Thirty-three days later, you bring a burnt offering and a sin offering. So come back to Luke chapter 2. And we know that Mary and Joseph, they received some special instructions for their boy. We all know that their boy is incredibly unique and special. His situation demands special attention, specific instructions. But listen, just because they had special privilege by receiving this revelation from God that the boy is going to be the Savior of the world, the Christ, and so forth, that did not mean that they are now relieved from the general revelation, the duties that every Jew needed to perform. They did not look at this and say, since we're special, and they were, now we don't have to do the mundane things. They knew, yes, special boy, we will be obedient to the special things that God only told us. God did not come to every Jewish family and tell them what to name their boy. That is a specific or a special revelation. What I want you to see in these first few verses is Mary and Joseph are being mindful of the general revelation that God gives to everybody. Say, but pastor, how does this apply? How does this work then with being sensitive to the Spirit? Step number one, if you want the Spirit to be able to communicate with you, you cannot ignore the general revelation that God has given to everybody. Think of this for a moment. Some famous person writes their autobiography, and they're on a book tour now. They come to your town. You go to the bookshop, and they give a talk on, here's my book, and here's some things about me. If you want to know more about me, you can read the book. The book is available. You could have read it, but you didn't. And as soon as that person steps away from giving their talk, you go to them individually and say, uh, I'd love to get to know you better. Tell me about yourself. Um, sir, were you not aware of the fact that there's a book tour going on? I just said I wrote a book that tells you all about myself. If you'd like to know more about me and get to know me, how about you start with what I've already said? And once you 
familiarize yourself with the general revelation of me, then if there are some more specific things that you would like to know, I'd be happy to sit down and talk, but at least do that author the, the, the honor of reading the book he's already put together, of familiarizing yourself with what he's already said. Let me give you a couple of thoughts that we learn from this passage that we have here. We already know that Mary and Joseph had a special situation, but did you realize that what we've just read in Luke, this proves that Mary was a sinner. Now, for those of you that if you were like me and you grew up as a Catholic, we were taught that Mary never sinned. This passage shows us that Mary brought a sin offering 33 days after her boy was born. This proves that she acknowledged she did have a sinful nature. This does not mean if you have a baby boy that you committed a sin by bringing a boy into the world. Okay, don't, don't I, I see some mom and dad looking at Booty going, yeah, you, <laughs> it's, it's not their fault. They did nothing wrong. You did nothing wrong. This was Mary's way of acknowledging we live in a fallen world, right? This goes all the way back to Eve falling into sin, and now one of the curses that came to Eve was the pain in childbearing. So this is a reminder when a, a young baby is born that, yes, we are in a fallen world, and we have, I have now passed the sinful nature onto this child. So that's what that offering was about. Secondly, we learn from Leviticus and from Luke that Mary and Joseph were very poor, they didn't bring a lamb to be sacrificed. They did have a lamb, but this wasn't the time for him to be sacrificed. They brought, as we can see in verse Luke chapter 2, verse 24, a pair of turtle doves. Do you see how the Bible interprets itself? Not turtles like the green one with the shell. Two turtle doves and, and young pigeons. They brought that because they were very poor. Now, what do we learn from this? What, how does this apply to our lives? They, they had deep poverty. That might speak to some of you in the room today. Students, can you say amen on that? Deep poverty. <laughs> no money. And, and secondly, we know that this family, although sinners, they were deeply privileged. Were they not? They had a massive amount of privilege in that God chose them to bring the, the Son of God into the world, the Savior. This is huge. So they have poverty, they have privilege, but they did not look at these things and say, well, I'm too poor or I'm too privileged, therefore I don't have to do these basic general things that God told everybody to do. They were mindful of the general revelation, the things that God told everyone to do. They were careful to go by every little detail of the law. I hear this often. People say, I want God to speak to me. I'm praying, and I want Him to tell me what to do in my life. Show me, God, what is your will? Who should I marry? Where should I work? Should I live here or should I go there? God, please tell me these finer, more specific details. And I, it could be that God is waiting for you to be sensitive to the general information that He's already given you. Open up the book that the author wrote and get to know the author, get to know his character, and this will help narrow down and inform you on all those decisions that are deeply pressing on your heart. Can I give you a few rules for this? If you have a pen, if you have your outline there, you can jot these down. By the way, point number one is general revelation. You might have already picked up on that. Verses 21 to 24 is a general revelation. Here are some rules for hearing from the Spirit. Rule number one, take heed to what God has already said. That's rule number one. 
If you want to hear from Him today, take heed to what He's already said. If you're not mindful of the general revelation, the special revelation probably won't hit as much. Rule number two, don't take lightly rule number one. (laughs) Rule number three, nothing that the Spirit says now will contradict rule number one. Do you see how everything's linked to rule number one? Take heed to what God has already said. I want to hear from God. 31,000 verses. You have every opportunity you need to hear from God. God has spoken quite a bit. We call this His general revelation. All of mankind has access to this. Now, if you're interested for Him to speak to you personally, which He wants to, by the way, first, you must take seriously the general revelation, what God has already said. That's rule one. Rule two, don't take that lightly. And rule three, nothing that the Spirit will tell you today about the specifics of your life will contradict what He's already said in His general revelation. I think sometimes, especially when we think about the privilege or the special circumstances of our life, whether it be poverty, whether it be privilege, or whatever it might be, we tend to begin to measure our level of obedience and our sacrifice by the people around us. Let me explain what I mean by that. Say, God, I will be obedient. I'll do what you told me to do, but only to the extent that I am more obedient than the people around me. So I'm not being mindful of what God you told me. I'm being mindful of what everybody else is doing about what you told us. So I see other people making a sacrifice. They give this much. Now, I give a little bit more. So that means I'm making more of a sacrifice. That means I'm doing okay. But, but watch what we're, and I appreciate the intention behind that. At least you're making a sacrifice. But based on what? Based on whose revelation? You're taking your steps of obedience based on what other people are doing and saying, well, I want to be a good Christian. I think that person's a good Christian and they're doing X. Now let me do X plus one. Ah, now I feel better. Because I'm doing a little bit more than that person. Somebody told me recently, I come to church quite enough. I said, and how do you measure that? They said, because there's other people in the church that don't come as much as me. Now, there's no verse in the Bible that says, come to church X amount plus one, and now you're doing okay. You need to be mindful of the general revelation and be careful not to say, well, because I'm doing this much, because God, you called me, you chose me to bring the Son of God into the world, therefore I am free and clear of doing these other smaller mundane things. That's not how it works. Mary and Joseph said, yes, we have this great privilege, but that does not absolve us of our responsibility of these smaller things. We are still duty-bound to be obedient regardless of what the others are doing. It doesn't matter if the other Jews are coming to the temple to dedicate their children in this way. By the way, this is a baby dedication. If any of you are wondering where that's at in the Bible, this is one. It doesn't matter if the other people are doing it or not. What did God tell you to do? Say, Pastor, I'd love to know. This is where you start. General revelation. And do not look around at others to say, well, they're not doing it. Or they're not doing it as much as me. That has nothing to do with this conversation. You need to be sensitive to the Spirit, not sensitive to society. 
If I can direct your attention to the bottom of your outline here, I've given you a verse, 2 Corinthians 11, or I'm, I'm sorry, chapter 10, verse 12. Paul says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. That's a foolish way to try to determine if you are being obedient to what the Spirit has told you to do. First, step one, pay attention to what He's already said. And once you take this seriously, there's a good chance that the Lord can show you some more specific finer details, which we'll take a look at now. Look at verse 25. This is point two on your outline. Specific revelation. Point one, general revelation. Point two, specific revelation. In verse 25, it says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout. Now, he was just, that means he was fair, he was upright. When he did business, he told the truth, that kind of thing. And devout, that means he was committed. That means he was faithful. That means you could depend on him to do what was right because it was the right thing to do, not because other people were doing it. It says here that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Ghost was upon him. I want you to see he first starts as being or presented, he's presented to us as being very mindful of the general revelation. He is just, that's all through the law, to be fair, to be honest. He's devout, that's all through the law. He need, he's paying attention to those things. The consolation of Israel that has to do with the coming of the Messiah. I told you in Sunday school, there's over a thousand promises of that in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is filled with those verses, with those promises. Simeon was mindful of the general revelation given to all Israel. He was waiting around while the Romans were oppressing his people, saying, God, I can't wait for you to do what you said clearly you would do. Now watch how he gets a specific revelation in verse 26. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. All right, so quick question. How did he, or let me say not how, but when, when did he get this revelation? The Lord whispered in the ear of his heart, I don't know if that makes any sense, and said, you're going to see the Lord's Christ before you're done. When did this happen? We don't know. Maybe it happened moments before Mary and Joseph got there. Maybe. Maybe it happened 20 years before the event. We don't know. Simeon never talked about it. He never advertised this. This was something private between him and God. In verse 27, it says, And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the, of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said. Notice that Simeon showed up at the temple before Mary and Joseph. So think about how, how the events of this day transpired. He is waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Lord had already told him, you're going to see the Christ before you're dead. And then this day, Simeon, being very sensitive waiting for God to speak to him, knowing that God could speak to him at any time, the Lord kind of tugged on his heart and said, hey, Simeon, go down to the temple. Simeon said, oh, okay. The Lord didn't tell him why. He just said, go to the temple. Okay. 
So off he goes. And he's standing there at the temple. He, he doesn't know why. He's just standing there. Mary and Joseph aren't even there. He's just waiting. You know, sometimes God's going to tell you to do something, and in the moment, you don't know why. You say, Pastor, that's, that's it. That's exactly what I want to know about. How do you know when it's God telling you to do that? I've, I've discovered a few problems with this. I, I, I should say recognizing when the Spirit is speaking to you. And I want to share some ideas with you on how, to, how you can tell. Simeon, when he was given this revelation in verse 26, he didn't go around telling everybody what was told to him. How did he know it was going to come to pass? He didn't. You know, I bet for years, Simeon probably asked himself, did I really hear the Lord right? Any of you got that going on? Where the Lord you think has told you something and you're just not sure that it's the Lord? Well, come on now. I, there's like three of you nodding your head. That means there's a lot of liars in the room. <laughs> there's a lot of people that go through that. I know because you've asked me. <laughs> We're still waiting to know, was that from God? That's a legitimate question. Here's the answer. You have to wait to find out. Now, see, that's not the answer you wanted, is it? <laughs> You want something definite and objective to say, okay, Lord, uh, Pastor Mike, just tell me if this is the Lord or not. Just, just tell me. I can't. I'll give you another verse here. Jeremiah chapter 28 and verse 9. The prophet which prophesieth of peace, when the word of the prophet shall come to pass, then shall the prophet be known that the Lord hath truly sent him. How do you know that that prophecy that God gave you is from the Lord? After it happens, then you'll know. You know when Simeon was completely convinced that he did hear correctly from God, that he'd see the Lord's Christ, when he was holding the baby Jesus in his arms, he went, yep, that revelation came from God. Which is precisely why he didn't walk around advertising it beforehand. Because there are certain things you cannot confirm and verify completely until they've happened. Now, you need to know that because sometimes God is speaking to you. He is leading you, guiding you. And because you cannot confirm it completely, you won't take any action. The Bible says the Lord directs our steps. You have to take steps in order to experience God's direction. Sometimes you will feel the Holy Spirit tugging you, pulling you this way, going, come on, come on down to the temple. Why? What am I going to see? I'll tell you when you get there. Just take a few steps. And I'll give you the direction you need. When did this revelation from verse 26 take place? We don't know. It's kind of like the wind blowing. You don't know where it came from. You don't know where it's going. You can't really predict when it's going to show up. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Is that not what Jesus said? All I know is when the wind's blowing, I can feel it. When the wind's blowing, I can feel it. But then we, we wonder, we, we feel this tug. We feel like the Lord's telling us something. We feel like the Lord's telling us something special. Verse 26. Was this from God? That's the big question for some people. Was it from God? But other people have this question. They hear others in the church saying, God told me, God told me, God told me. Some people are keen to announce that on an ongoing basis. God told me, God told me. And the other guy is sitting back there going, wow, God talks to him a lot. Why don't I hear from God like that? I don't have these secret messages coming through on a daily basis. Am I doing something wrong? Am I less spiritual because I don't have all of these specific revelations? 
And some people start to doubt their own walk with God because they are comparing themselves to that other guy who keeps announcing it. And then I think there's a third problem as well. A bit of peer pressure starts to happen. You hear people announcing it. Then you start to doubt yourself. And then you say, you know what? I really want to be a spiritual person. So I'm just going to force myself to have the experience. Everyone else says they heard from God, so I, I got this little bit of a feeling. Maybe, maybe I can make this work. And they kind of force it. They, they, it's, I've given you a quote here from A.W. Tozer about overstimulation. They, they try to make it happen, and they're getting ahead of God. Notice, can I bring your attention to that quote at the bottom of your paper there? A.W. Tozer said, Certain highly emotional religious groups appear entirely incapable of carrying on unless they are aroused to a high pitch of nervous excitement, which, incidentally, they mistake for the movings of the Holy Spirit. No Christian should need any other stimulation than that afforded by the Word of God, the indwelling Holy Spirit, and prayer. These, along with the overwhelming needs of the lost world, should provide all normal stimulation. Did God really speak to me? Well, you're going to have to wait and find out. Why isn't God speaking to me? Is it me? Am I doing something wrong? Legitimate question. And then number three, okay, because others seem to be so spiritual and into it, let me force myself, let me get myself all worked up so that I also can claim to have a spiritual experience. Those are some mistakes that get made with this. Simeon had this revelation. And then, who knows, weeks, months, years later, the Holy Spirit says, okay, Simeon, go into the temple. So he does. Now, how did he know, in verse 27, when the parents brought in Jesus, how did he know that was... That was the Lord's Christ. How did he know? Was, was there a little halo above Jesus? When Mary and Joseph brought him in, was there like a little baby dove floating over him? Because <laughs> that's how John the Baptist knew, right? There was a dove that came down. There's a little baby dove. <laughs> they went, yep. Simeon said, that's it. That's the how did he know? I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that. I'm assuming it's much like Elizabeth when Mary walked in the room and said hello and, and John the Baptist leaped in her womb and she said, wait a minute. And the Holy Spirit said, yeah, all this excitement is because Jesus just walked in. I'm assuming that Simeon, he's obedient to the general revelation. He has his ear pressed up against the chest of God, listening to the heartbeat of God. And when God says move, he moved. He went to the temple and now he's been obedient. He's taken some steps. He's, he's being directed. And then when he's waiting and people are passing by and the Lord just kind of tugs at his heart and said, there he is. That's the one. How did he know that was right? How did he get that right? My only answer to that is this, experience. Simeon, as an older gentleman, he had been through this before. He had tested the voice of God and he had learned when it was God actually speaking to him. So now when he feels that tug, he knows, yep, all the other times I have verified it was God. I thought he was saying something to me. I waited and then it came to pass. That was the voice of God. And then I heard it again. I waited. It happened. That was the voice of God. And after a while, you become used to it. So if you are a younger Christian here today and you hear older Christians saying, I heard from God and the Spirit led me, your day is coming. 
I clearly remember the first few times I heard God tugging on my heart. And it scared me. Christina and I had just lost our first child from a miscarriage. A week after that, I was sitting in church. The pastor preached on sacrifice. And everybody else had walked out of the church. I sat there all by myself. And I could, to this day, I clearly remember God saying, go to Bible school. That's all he said, go to Bible school. Now you say, pastor, how can you prove that? I can't. I, 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 can't, I can't show you a verse that says God told me that. All I know is I went to Bible school and it all worked out and the doors opened up and now looking back I can see I am as convinced as a human being can be that that was the right thing to do. I had to learn by taking some steps, letting God direct me and then I I said that must have been the voice of God. Sitting in at Bible school my first year I got to church 30 minutes early every Sunday. I was sitting there waiting for everybody else to get there. I was praying. And very clearly, I felt the Lord telling me, full time. I've been praying for weeks. God, do you want me to go full time into the ministry? And I heard those two words, full time. Say, Pastor, how do you prove that? I I can't. I, I can't prove it to you. I just know that I felt that same tug on my heart. And now, 25 years later, I look back and go, yeah, I think that was right. That's what he was telling me to do. And over and over again, I thought that was the Lord and I've waited and I've seen and now I'm to the point where I still cannot objectively prove it to anyone. But I've felt that tug. I've heard that still small voice of the Spirit that when he says, you're going to see this, when he says, go to the temple, when he says, that's the one, when he lays his hand on some man or some woman and says, this is the one I'm going to use, you get used to hearing that. And I can only think that Simeon had become experienced at hearing from God. And that's how he knew this is the Lord's Christ. You see, what I'm giving you today is a real life. This is possible in your life. This kind of thing can't happen. You say, no, no, this is saved for those super spiritual people. The, Simeon, you know what he was? A guy that took the Bible seriously. He was just and devout. That's all he was. And then because he was yielded to what God wanted him to hear, God showed him more and more and more. How many of you remember me saying this? You need to be a bucket with a hole in it. You guys remember that? A bucket with a hole in it. Because if you're just a bucket, God puts a little bit in the bucket. It just sits in the bucket and it stagnates. It does nothing. God is going to stop pouring into the bucket. You poke a hole in it and start giving out that water. Start doing something with what God's given you. Take the water seriously. God keeps putting more in the bucket. God gives you general revelation. Take it seriously. And then God says, okay, let me show you more and more and more. In verse number 28, it says, Then he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Simeon says, this is as good as it's going to get. God, you can take me now. I'm ready to die. I saw a baby. (laughs) God, I have seen this incredible prophecy, which not only me, but everybody's been waiting for. I'm, I'm satisfied. Off I go. I'm happy with this. 
Notice he says in verse 30, I have seen thy salvation. Salvation is not in a political system. It's not in a pile of money. It's not in a syringe with a vaccine in it. Salvation is in a person. He says, I have seen thy salvation. He's holding him in his hands. Verse 31, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. This is an interesting statement, actually, because no one has mentioned this in the Gospel of Luke up until now. No one's mentioned the Gentiles. Simeon did. The Gentiles were the enemy. Most of the Jews wanted the enemy to be destroyed. God, send the Messiah to kill the Romans. Not Simeon. He was a man of God's Word. And in God's Word, the plan was not only to save Israel, but to save the world. That all nations of the earth would be blessed through Abraham. And Simeon knew that. He did not want to see Rome destroyed. He wanted to see Rome converted. I've given you the verse on your paper, John 3.17. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Jesus didn't come to destroy the Gentiles, but to convert them. I wonder if that's your heart this morning towards your enemies. Towards the ones that are treating you wrongly, oppressing you. That Simeon could have easily been angry and bitter, but he wasn't. Now watch in verse 33, Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Notice this carefully, only Joseph and Mary. Simeon, many people say he was a priest. I don't think that he was because if he was a priest, he would have already been at the temple. He wouldn't have needed God to tell him, especially you go to the temple. Listen to this part now. A priest has a duty, a duty, general revelation. Priest, go to the temple. You don't need God to knock on the door of your heart every day to say, hey, hey, go do the things I've already told you to do. You don't need that specific revelation. You don't need God to show up every Sunday and say, hey, hey, you, go to church. Hey, you, today, Tuesday, Wednesday, read your Bible. You don't need the Spirit of God to do that. God's already told you to do those things. When, when Jesus came and said, blessed are the poor in spirit and they that mourn and the meek and uh, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness and the peacemakers, you should be doing those things. When he said, forgive others as you've been forgiven, you, should do, you don't need the Spirit of God to pass by and say, hey, do that. You don't need to pray about it. Simeon needed some special revelation because it wasn't his duty to be at the temple. And when he said these things, no one else marveled. Only Joseph and Mary. Did you, did you see that? Joseph and Mary. They went, wow. Why? Because they know the backstory. They have been seeing so many incredible things happen around their baby that this just adds to the story. But think if you're one of the other bystanders in the temple and you see some old man take some stranger's baby and go, here he is, I'm ready to die. All right, Lord, kill me. This, is, this little baby right here is going to save everybody. <laughs> if you're one of the other people bringing your lamb, bringing your goat to the temple, man, man, you're going to give your sin offering, you know. And here, here comes some old guy grabbing a baby going, I'm ready to die. You're thinking, yeah, well, shame. Lost his mind, right? <laughs> What's he talking about? No one else is going to marvel because they don't know the backstory. If God has told you something privately, Listen, Simeon didn't stand up and say, hey, everybody, listen, God told me that I would see this and now I'm seeing it. He did not advertise that the Holy Spirit had told him anything. 
Do you see? Note it, look through the passage. Never does it say anything where somebody out loud says, the Spirit told me. Simeon simply is, he's talking to God in the first half. Lord, I've seen what you told me I would see. It's a personal thing between him and God. When God tells you something specifically, keep it between you and him. Until he tells you to tell others. Otherwise, you run the risk of using this specific revelation as a way of gaining attention and honor and respect from your fellow Christians. Look at me. I heard from God. Well, maybe you did, maybe you didn't. Maybe you're just some old coot holding up babies. We don't know. (laughs) We cannot verify your special revelations. Does that make sense? If Simeon had said, I was going to see it, okay, maybe, maybe God said it, maybe He didn't. We don't know. That's something God did in your life, specifically for you. Simeon was aware of that. He didn't need everybody to... Listen, nobody got converted. No one got saved. Nobody accepted the baby Jesus as their Savior because of this sermon. <laughs> it simply got Mary and Joseph's attention to say, wow, look at what God continues to do. Now Simeon turns his attention to the parents. In verse 34, Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. For the fall and rising again of many. Now this is true personally, this is true corporately as a nation, that's true. What I want to say about this is everything hinges based on what you do with Jesus. Your fall You're rising again. Everything hinges on what you do with Jesus. Simeon says this will be a sign spoken against. This sign is something Jesus would mention 33 years later. Over and over again, people say, give us a sign. Show us a sign from heaven. He says, the wicked and adulterous generation gets one sign and one only. As Jonas was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The sign is the resurrection. And that is the sign that has been spoken against for the last 2,000 years. But notice why people reject this truth. Look at verse 35. Simeon tells Mary, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. Which, by the way, came to pass. When Mary stood at the foot of the cross watching her son die, he had been pierced, hands and feet, Blood running down, and now her soul is grieved watching her son go through this. Notice at the end of verse 35 that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. You can tell a lot about a person based on what they do with the story of the resurrection. The evidence for it is so compelling and so strong. In the book of Acts, it says that there are infallible proofs. Infallible. That's a very strong term. Why won't people accept it? Because they don't want it to be true. Because if it's true, Christian, listen to me. If it's true, it demands you change everything, forsake all, and follow Him. Say, but Pastor Mike, I believe that He rose from the dead. Think that thing through. Because once you say that He came back from the dead, that validates every statement He made. That means... That his statement about forsaking all, to follow him, to lay up treasure in heaven, what's going to happen in the next life, all of that stuff is true. Now that should change the way you live. That should mean that 
if he is who he says he is, I need to take every teaching of his and apply it to my life. Every single one. You see, it reveals what's going on in your heart. If somebody says, no, I don't think he rose from the dead. Why? The proof is there. Well, if he rose, I have to change. And I don't want to change. And then the thoughts of the heart are revealed. In verse 36, there was one Anna, a prophetess, a daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. We say Asher from the Old Testament. She was of great age and had lived with an husband seven years for her, from her virginity. So as I understand, she got married, and then seven years later, her husband died. Verse 37, she was a, a widow of about fourscore and four years, 84 years old. So she had been a widow. This would put her widowhood maybe about 60 years, plus minus. She'd been a widow for 60 years. This is what she did in those 60 years. Verse 37, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. What do you think she's praying for? The love of her life is gone. He's been gone for a long time. She has nothing else to look forward to. She has no children, no grandchildren, not, not that we read about. She has one thing she's looking for. These promises from the general revelation of God that the Messiah is going to show up, that's what she's waiting for. Verse 38, And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of Him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So now, Simeon had taken the baby. Lord, I'm ready to die. I've seen it. Everybody else looking at that thinks, what are you talking about? Why are you so excited about this? They don't get it. And then Simeon, he's probably holding the baby because you know how older folks are. They take somebody's baby and they just hold on <laughs> and they don't give it back. And I get it. As a grandpa myself, if you bring a baby near me, I, I will borrow that baby for a long time. <laughs> and then Anna walks in, right? She's 84 years old. She's walking in, she's trembling, and she's been praying for years and years. She's been waiting to see this day. And she hears what Simeon said. She probably knows Simeon. The people that take God seriously generally know each other. And Anna takes that baby and says, thank God. And as people are walking by, here's this 84-year-old lady testifying for Christ. People are walking by, she says, hey, you looking for redemption? You, you looking for somebody to fix your life? You looking for somebody to straighten you out? I got it right here. Here he is. Thank God, here he is. Now, people are walking by. You know what they're doing? Going, shame, Tani. Come on, Tani. It's a baby. <laughs> Tani, calm down. It's just a baby. How do you know, Tani? How do you know that the redemption in Jerusalem is found in that baby? How do you know that salvation and redemption? We know, right? We have the whole story. We have the benefit of, of history, of knowing that he died and rose again and paid for our sins. They didn't know that. So you know what people were doing? Walking right by going, okay. We know about this general revelation, but this specific revelation that you're giving us now, you believe God told you this and that? How do we know? The people that heard that in the temple that day, they probably kept it in the back of their mind. And some of them probably followed the life of Jesus as he grew up and said, let's see what happens with this boy. Let's see how this turns out. General revelation, then specific revelation that can or cannot be verified. Sometimes you have to wait. Sometimes it's just between you and God. Don't expect everybody else to jump on board because they, they're not part of it. 
But this leads to the third point in my sermon, point three, Jesus' revelation. Because those that are sensitive to the Spirit take heed to the general. God gives them the specific and they patiently wait for that to get verified. And they know that they're not using it to impress everybody. You remember that in 1 Corinthians 14? Paul said, when you come together, you should do it to edify one another. You don't come together and say, I have a revelation. I have a song. I have... Don't do it to impress everybody. God gives you the general, then the specific, but the Holy Spirit is all, all of this revelation is going to point you to Jesus. Did you notice that? The specific stuff for Simeon points to Jesus. For Anna, points to Jesus. You know what Jesus told us about the Holy Spirit? He says, when He's come, He will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they believed not on Me. Jesus told us what the Holy Spirit would be doing in our lives, drawing us to Christ. Even after you get saved, what does He do? He tries to teach you more and more about Christ so that you can become more like Him. Now, if you know that's what the Holy Spirit wants to talk about, that should help you have good ears to hear. If you, know, if you want to know, is this the Holy Spirit speaking to me? Is He talking about Christ? Because that will be a really good way to narrow that down quite a bit. Can I show you one more verse in verse 39? And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. That seems like a very mundane verse, doesn't it? Right? After they finished, they went home. That's it. Watch this. General revelation. Be obedient. They, they were. Let's go to the temple. Let's do what we're told to do. Simeon. Waiting for the consolation, general revelation, doing what he's supposed to do. But while Mary and Joseph walk in, they don't get to offer the sacrifice yet. Simeon takes the baby, says what he says. Anna comes in and says, hey, everybody want redemption? Here it is. Mary and Joseph standing back and doing what? Wow. Everybody loves our baby. This is great. Can we have our baby back? Thank you. They take the baby back. You know what they do? They go right back to the general revelation. Do you see that? It's all grounded in what God's already said. Mary and Joseph did not say, wow, Simeon said these fantastic things. Anna said this. Mal, look at what they've said. This means, well, why should we have to do those mundane, boring things? If we're so special, if God's chosen us, surely we're exempt. No, you're not. They said, okay, thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm so glad that God has touched your hearts through our son, just like he's touched ours. Now, if we can have our baby back, we still need to perform these duties. And then we're going to go home and raise this boy the, the way God told us to. You see, the, the special revelation is wonderful, and God will use it in your life. He will speak to you, and you'll only learn this through experience, guys. That's it. That's the only way. You believe God's speaking to you? Take a couple steps, see if it's true, and then the ball gets rolling. And you will learn how to hear that, how to discern that. You will get it. But at the end of the day, if God cannot trust you to do what He's commanded you to do, I seriously doubt He's going to keep showing up and giving you special things to do. God could speak to these people specifically because they were trustworthy, even with the small, mundane things. Now, I wonder today, 
Maybe the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you. Say, Pastor, you know, I've tried to listen today and there's just really nothing that spoke directly to my heart. Maybe it wasn't something specific. Maybe it was something very general like, you must be born again. Maybe you're the one in need of salvation or redemption. Maybe it's something that God has already clearly told us in the Bible and you simply need to add it to your life. Or maybe, maybe it is something specific. Maybe the Holy Spirit has told you something in the process of this sermon that you need to do, a step you need to take in your life. Say, I'm just not sure if it was God or not. Well, take a couple steps and find out. Let the Lord direct you. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed just for a few moments. You see, the thing about being sensitive to the Spirit is you can't control when He shows up. You cannot work up the emotions from within you and make the Holy Spirit appear out of nowhere. Just like the wind, when it blows, it comes, it goes. You, you can't predict it. You just need to do something about it when it's here. I know that you would like more definite answers. I want to know right away if that was God or not. Well, it doesn't work like that. But rest assured, the Lord does speak to us. Like Simeon, like Anna, for years and years, they waited to see what God had told them generally and specifically, and one day it happened. Hey folks, one day, I know generally God has told us Jesus is coming back with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, we're going to see that one day. One day. I got some things the Lord's been putting on my heart specifically. I'm still waiting for Him to do those things. One day. One day. Until then, I want to stay sensitive. Lord, if you want to tell me something today, help me to be obedient. Help me to take it seriously. Help me to do something about it even if it means just going home and being a good mom and dad, help me to do that. Father, my greatest desire this morning is for you to speak to your people, not me. And I know you have a lot of things you've already said to us. Help us to do a better job of taking that seriously. And Lord, those times that you do come to us in that special way and tug on our heart and speak to us and direct us. Lord, you, you know that we're frail, we're human. We, we struggle, God. We struggle to hear it clearly. We're not always sure what to do about it, Lord. Please be patient with us. Lord, we want to walk by faith. So therefore, we ask that you increase our faith. Continue to speak to us, God. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.